0: One of the sales reps that I love working with out of Texas at a meeting one time, he was very successful. And someone asked him, What's your approach? And he said, I have a give, give, get approach. I give and I give and then I get. And so it's no surprise that I get.
1: Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome back to SaaS Connect Online. I'm Ty Lingley, head of partnerships at ally.io and board member at the Cloud Software Association. Very, very excited today to speak. With our guest today, I got a chance to know her a little bit before, and I've been blown away by the career journey she's had, and I think everybody's going to learn a lot and have the ability to ask Danielle some awesome questions. So a bit of an intro before I turn it over to Danielle. She's the head of partnerships for channel sales enablement at Intuit, and she's here to talk to us today about how to engage a channel during the COVID-19 pandemic. Danielle has 25 years' experience in partnerships with companies such as Apple Computer, Nextel Communications, ADP, Cornerstone, and Intuit. For most of her career, Danielle has held marketing and sales enablement roles to create and execute campaigns that drive leads from partners that require a collaborative sales process and integrative SaaS solutions. Fun fact, Danielle was part of a sales team that sold the first cell phone as a time clock. Collecting employee time by job with GPS stamp and passing the time all the way through to payroll, leveraging three different partners in the integrated solution. Wow, we could probably dive into that (laughs) for a few minutes. Um, And as if that wasn't enough, she's also been a small business owner operating a yoga and spin studio for seven years in Scottsdale, Arizona, before starting a family. So really excited to get into things with Danielle. I just will remind everybody, if you have a question throughout the talk, please feel free to drop it into the Q&A below. And also post-talk at about 10.45, we'll be transitioning the conversation over to paid members into a different channel. We'll be able to continue the conversation. So, And I'll also remind you, if you're not a paid member of the Cloud Software Association, to do so, come by. It's a great place for partnership folks to learn from one another and get exposure to people like Danielle. And you can do that at cloudsoccerassociation.com.
0: Danielle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
1: No, we we're excited. When Senior told me that you were the guest and I started to do a little sleuthing on you, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty stoked to, to be a host here.
0: And you took me down memory lane a little bit. My mind was just wandering to all those things you mentioned. You know, they're words on a paper, but Uh, to me, yeah, they just, it's surprising, you know, 25 years have passed, and how long I've been doing this, and all of those milestones, and I look forward to sharing them, and if anybody wants to connect after, I'm completely happy to connect on on LinkedIn after for chats.
1: Definitely, okay, so let's, uh, I'll hand it over to you, and why don't we engage in the the topic at hand that you're going to present on, and then if we want to you know, ask a little bit more questions about your your past or your experience at, at these previous other companies. We can do so kind of after or as we go along.
0: Okay. Well, again, thanks for having me. So, I do want to um, you know, disclaimer that the opinions I'm going to express today are solely those of myself. They are not reflected reflective of any of the employers I worked for. However, you know, I have been surrounded by so many great colleagues in my career that have helped me grow and learn and have the privilege of working for so many great companies. To see, you know, how they get business done and be a part of that. But these opinions today are, you know, my own, my own learnings. And some companies and colleagues have agreed, some haven't. But I just really wanted to to spark discussion and thoughts about how you can, you know, run a partner channel or partnership, run a channel, and maybe some some radical differences of how how you can get that done. I'm going to start out with just just doing some research last night and thinking about this whole pandemic and. You know a lot of negativity surrounding it and personally you know my family moved during the pandemic i've lost three or four friends, although uh, not to COVID, to other things, and, and some of them are as a result of the pandemic, although not not COVID. Um, I miss my family dearly. I miss all my friends and colleagues that I'm used to out seeing the world with, but I saw this, this quote and I felt like, you know, I, I really embraced this early on that I still needed to figure out a way to get business done Even though my previous uh, way of doing partnerships and channels was being on the road three weeks out of every month, traveling a ton, and I had had that travel pace for about 15 years. And then when COVID hit, I realized, like, I don't know how to do this job without you know, going out and shaking hands and kissing babies. But I hadn't seen this quote prior, but it really did embrace what I was feeling back then. It's what if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awaking us from our ignorant slumber. And that's a poem from Leslie Dwight. And I can say that, you know, I am completely, you know, empathetic and passionate about what others are going through. But I will say that for me, being able to pivot and do my business during this pandemic and and finding a way to push through and still perform my job, inspire my team and get results, I think is going to change the way we do our jobs going forward. And I'm thrilled that you had us here, me here today to share some of that stuff with you. So five topics that I want to talk about yeah, I wasn't really sure sure what to call this first one, so I just called it the price partnership principle really is my philosophy and belief on partnerships. And then I'm going to talk about radical resourcing, how we did pivot tactically during COVID. And then I'm going to share the four E's, which is my strategy for how I, how I handle partner channel sales. And then um, just some danger zones that I, I see you know, key executives or leaders, if, if you're thinking this way, or if you have people saying some of these comments to you, you know, really take some time to unpack them and understand if, if they're accurate and and if you can explore more. So I'll get into those. Any questions before I get going?
1: There doesn't seem to be any from the crowd yet, Danielle. So you've got a night to keep going.
0: All right. So, you know, as I was thinking about how I would define partnerships, and I think partnerships and channels are different. And it's important as an executive and even as a partner manager to, to understand, are you running a partnership or are you running a channel? I see channel more as like you're selling through an organization, but partnerships are really built on trust. They're maybe just sending leads and not necessarily selling the product for you. They're going to lean into you for a co-sale opportunity. And for a salesperson, um, when I think about the 10 steps or so of a sales process, where you first have to just profile the client, who's the buyer, how many employees do they have, what industry are they in? Um, Then you have to figure out how you're going to gain access to them and just get your foot in the door. And then how are you going to build a relationship with that client, you know, once you've done the, you know, the first three to five steps, which is getting to that point where you're understanding their needs for you as a a salesperson to take that sales to the next level and bring in a partner, you really have to have trust and you have to know that it's a, it's a dance when you get on with a demo or when you're talking pricing. And so partnerships to me lead to relationships and then at the end of the day, when I look back on my career, I really feel like I can count and I'm an introvert. So this is interesting. I, I love being at home. I'm a homebody, I love being with my family, but you know, I feel like I have thousands of friends out there, thousands of people that I've met over the course of my career across the country who I visited with their, them in their offices. And they know that they can call me even if it's just a question. I have people call me and say, hey, I don't think your product's a good fit, but might you be able to recommend me to someone else? And you know, that's not a waste of my time at all. I relish that. And then, so I think that if you're hiring someone to do partnerships or channels for you, as a leader, you really need to respect that they're bringing to you, not their relationships. I've often said from companies that hired me, like, are you hiring me for my relationships? What are you hiring me for? Do you want access to my Rolodex? But I realize that they're hiring me for my friendships. And so when you hire someone for that that background that they have and for that ecosystem that they have. You really need to respect that and give your channel managers and your partner managers paths to functional areas in the organization. And what I mean by functional areas is paths to marketing, paths to support um, so that they're readily accessible for the partner managers and channel managers, because I will lose friends and I won't make any more friends and we won't generate repeat referrals if I can't help these people when they're kind of as a last resort or hail Mary coming to me. I cannot tell you though how many times I'm gonna sort of bear it all and be uh, vulnerable here, but I've had leaders say to me or functional, my own leaders or functional area leaders say, why are you bringing this marketing opportunity to us at the very last minute? And it's hard to respond to that because the perception is you're not a planner or you're disorganized when in reality, an opportunity has presented itself and the partner is coming to you because you know, they know that you can execute or they trust that you can, or they feel like you're the one that can pivot on a dime. And so it's, it's hard to convey that. Well, you know, the partner's bringing it to me at last minute and do we want to take advantage of this or not? So I think if you're a leader out there and you have channel or partner managers working for you, just be cognizant that it's not that they're not planners. It's not that, you know, they're, they're not staying on top of their work. It's that opportunities present themselves and you want to be the one that those partners come to for those
1: opportunities. So much of what you just said really really (laughs) resonates with me where I'm like, look, you do understand that I don't control what the partner who's been good to us in the past brings to me. And that's why I'm bringing it to you. So uh, I totally feel that. Let's just go back a second to Daniel, to the trust piece. And of course, that's something that's often talked about and hard to quantify in those friendships that you said are built initially on trust. Can you speak to a little bit of like, what are some of the quantifiable things that create trust for a partnership person? And some are, what are the, some of the qualitative things that contribute to that trust?
0: Um, So I guess I'll dive into the qualitative first. And I think you know, early on in my career, I, I really never held a traditional sales role. Although leaders have told me in my past, you're definitely a salesperson, but you know, it's sort of more like selling a concept or a philosophy or a belief or a partnership um, to someone. But I understand that one of the key points of selling is setting proper expectations being honest about your product and your capabilities, being willing to, you know, lose a deal to save time and let your partner know, Hey, that's not a good fit for us. And then providing key insights is part of the whole challenger sales model training, where someone might come to me with a lead and I want them to come to me first. So qualitatively, do I want every lead? Yes is it because I want to sell that lead? No, it's because I want to be perceived as that trusted partner. And if I don't know the answer and it's not my product, that's a good fit. I want to be the one to say, my product's not a good fit, but I've heard about a competitor and I know that they can do this. And then of course I'll be the first person that goes back to my organization and says, Hey, we need to fill this gap. We have a a tech gap and there's a company out there that can do it. So I think having a trait of conscientiousness too is not just telling that partner we're not a good fit and then leaving it at that. We're not a good fit. This partner may work for you. And then going back to my organization and saying, hey, if we want to win every deal, this is how we need to improve our technology. So being conscientious is, I think, quantifiable trait that you have to have. And do I want every lead from a quantity perspective? Yes, but it's not because I feel like I can sell every deal is that I want to be your partner. and I want to learn too and better myself. What is at the end of the day, I believe we're here to meet the customer's needs. And so I want to know what that customer is asking for and to put myself out there and say, come to me with anything and everything, I think just um, helps educate me better. And then hopefully makes both my partners and my organization better.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a, a good approach. And, and you mentioned the word friendship and that those are kind of the, a lot of the qualities you'd look for in a friend as well. So well put.
0: All right. So let's move on. Radical resourcing. Okay. This is probably the most important tip I think I'm going to give today. And I think it's a radical concept. And I think it's one of the critical missteps that organizations make when deciding they want to have a partner or channel approach. And I think more More so I'm speaking of partnerships here where, you know, a channel, there's a certain, you know, gratuitousness that's going to happen with that channel that they are getting paid for that lead or they're reselling it. So they have a certain level of responsibility, but when it's a partnership and they're maybe sending the lead versus selling it themselves, it's a different dynamic and you need to educate them you well we need to engage them first nobody is going to take any education or training from you if they don't know who you are trust you or have at least some peaked interest in your product so i was grappling like what kind of picture could i put on here but three words over staff early missed my period there on that early um i I put a dot 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 and what i mean by that is you know if you are trying to let's say you're trying to reach an organization like verizon and you have a mobile app that you know can help a certain industry. And so you want to go out to Verizon and tell them, hey, if you're trying to sell phones, why don't you sell it as, as a phone with this type of app? Because it's going to optimize the cost of your app. And here are the ways that this app is going to help. And time and attendance is a great example of that. If you can turn a cell phone, and this is what we were doing you know, 15 years ago, although the industry wasn't ready to adopt it as they are today if you could turn a cell phone into a mobile time clock that verizon rep can sell more cell phones because now they're not just talking to the vp of operations or communications about you know your cell phone usage you're talking about now how hr can leverage the same device to be a mobile time clock but to be able to get out to those 2000 cell reps let's say at verizon you need to put 15 or 20 people on the partnership. Go out and educate them in regional, their regional territories, in specific industries. And then as they start to understand the business and they're engaged, and then they have become educated, and then they start to execute as you want them to do and start talking about this optimization for this example of that mobile device, for instance, and then they start evangelizing your product to their clients and their partners, you can then start to pull back You can either add another partner and give that partner manager another partner in that regional territory, or you can pull them back and put them in direct sales or or resource them however you need to be. But what I see happens in most partnerships and channels is they say, well, we have a partnership. Let's put one person on it. Oftentimes, the person they're putting on it is very strategic which I think is also another mistake. You really have to hire people who are going to be tactical and do the nitty gritty. I had lunch recently. Well, recently, it's probably about 10 months ago before the, this all hit with some of my previous Nextel reps. And one of them brought up that's something I forgot about. Remember when you used to do this fax campaign where you would fax all of our clients and ask them for, you know, it was like a wanted poster, we're in Arizona, and ask them wanted, we want three re- referrals from you and we'll give you a pair of Arizona Diamondback tickets. I forgot about all that and of course the fax dates me. But those types of tactical efforts are what pays off. So you can have someone strategically thinking, oh, I'm gonna get the whole Verizon Salesforce selling my product or talking about my product. Okay, but how? You've got a staff, or overstaff early, and then either go on to a next partner, add new partners to those folks' databases. Because what happens is those Verizon reps, and again, this is just an example, are going to start to become your inside salesperson. They're going to win a deal with you. They're going to tell the 10 people on their team about the deal they won with you. Their manager's going to know about it. Their manager's going to tell their 10 manager peers. It's going to elevate to the VPs, the DVPs, and so on. And then they start to become this organization for you, and you can peel back your partner resources. So, radical resourcing. I think it's a shift in what we typically do today, but I think it's where, uh, if you really want a a successful partner channel, that's what you need to do.
1: Very, very radical, uh, Danielle. (laughs) And and for some of the folks who might be dealing with like smaller budgets or not a lot of resources at play, like how would you handle this situation if you don't have the ability especially to, to overstaff or at least prepare for it?
0: Well, I mean, you know, honestly, again, I'm dealing with this. Uh, I've dealt with this actually in every company I've worked for where the partnerships are really seen as strategic, but you really need a tactical approach. And then you just don't have enough bodies to reach everyone. I think the other challenge, too, is that people go into partnerships with a, an, an idea of what can I get out of you? What can I get out of this partner? But if you go into the partnership and say, you know, why am I of value to this partner? What gaps do I fill? How can I help them? You truly have to be benevolent in that though. And if you look at how I can help them and you start to convey that, then one, they will come to you. And and then it's sharing stories. And I'll say that I just recently slacked uh, someone on my team and said, Hey, can you connect me with a social media expert internally? Because I think to get some of these resources out that we've created, and we don't have budget to hire people. I need to get a little bit more savvy in social media. All of these our sales reps that we're partnering with are on Instagram and Facebook, and I use LinkedIn a lot. But using Instagram and Facebook for work-related, yeah, you know, it's just it's a new concept for me. I think those of us have been in the workforce a little bit longer. We kind of try to tend to separate our personal from our business, and that's not the way that it is anymore. The as I said, these are friendships. So my goal in 2021 is to to use social media as that outreach, and and I've got some brushing up on my skills to do. I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, I, I fall into the bucket of wanting to keep that separation, but it, I mean, it's you can see it in business and uh, every company yeah. has Instagram account, so I hear you.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. So probably why you joined today. You really want to understand what's the need of some of the things we did. So that's what I want to share right now. So when I talk about friendships, you know, part of being a friendship is listening. And uh, I'm sure people would accuse me in my career of of not listening. It's not that I didn't listen. It's just that maybe I didn't have the resources at the time. But I will tell you, three years ago, I visited um, one of my partner sales offices and the, the sales leader who had invited me out, who I'd known. You know, for my 15 years of my career, he said, one of the things we could really use is an industry playbook. The industries that you're really good in aren't the industries we're typically really good in and vice versa. You know, we're really good in these industries. So maybe we could help you. So, you know, you can sit back and go, great, well, send me all those leads from the industries you're good in, or you could respond. Well, did I respond? I did not. I did not have the bandwidth. I did not have the resources. And honestly, I did not have the skill set." to go create an industry playbook. But when COVID hit, you know, it was March. I had my entire out to my summer with travel planned and all my trips started canceling and everything was going to be virtual. And one of the things I found out, I hope it's not relaying here, is I'm much better in person than I am over a Zoom call. The Zoom's incredibly uncomfortable for me when we first started. I tend to be like a walker and a talker and I think on my feet. And so I've had to really uh, adapt, but I thought back to some of my friendships and relationships and what did people tell me they need and how could I pivot? And this sales leader asking me for an industry playbook. And I'm like, all right, I'm not traveling. I now have the time because it's hard when you're traveling two or three days a week to actually sit and perform work. You kind of get into this repetitive mode where you're just driving leads and driving leads and driving leads and not able to really look at the infrastructure you've built or improve your processes. But how long could we keep doing that? We were. The message was also, I feel getting stale. So for us, this was... This was kind of a great time to pivot because they were ready for something new from us. Thank goodness I work for a company that empowers me to run my business. I was able to hire an agency, it's really just a one woman show, and worked, found somebody that was a good fit for me. I will tell you that over the three years, I did drop this nugget of industry playbook on several people. Nobody bit. Another, I just, I kind of want to digress a minute about con- being conscientious. I and social media. I posted on Nextdoor. And I don't know if anybody's familiar with the app. It's about your little community, right? And I, again, I do better face to face. So I posted on Nextdoor. I'm looking for a creative type who's a writer and designer to help me deliver a work project. Well, some woman who I have now, I now know who that is. And she happens to be a friend of a friend, but I didn't know her at the time was conscientious enough to take a screenshot of that. She is the owner of a, you know a major Pizza place. I should give them a shout out, Fresh Brothers Pizza, Manhattan Beach, California. And she, being as busy as she is, took a screenshot of that, sent it to a woman that had done a couple flyers for her and said, This may be of interest to you. That relationship with this woman has Changed the trajectory of, of my work in the last 10 months because we just happened to connect. And along with her and another person that she brought on board, we built this 90 page, very comprehensive industry playbook. Um, the other thing we did too is not only did we build it for ourselves, but I thought, look, if I'm going to build this and I'm really going to expect someone to use it, then why just put my solutions in there? Why don't I go and figure out who are their other top partners that, that my partner likes to partner with? And um, of course, they're not my competitors, but who are some of their top partners and maybe they want to be in the industry playbook. And so for a small fee, and I mean small, like under $2,000. So again, talking about low budgets, we decided that we would put five or six different partners in this industry playbook. Now, then the playbook is great. Then you think about, okay, we have this asset, how do we get it out to the masses? And of course we've got at the end or in the middle there, webinars a Zoom call. But then how can we tell if our message is landing where it needs to be, if our education is having an impact and so I started playing this game during, during COVID with some of my friends. Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember the name. of the, Oh, it's called Psych. So we started playing this game called Psych. And I thought, man, if I had a game called Psych, but it was for my product, my technology that complemented my playbook. And I happened to mention that to Carrie. And next thing I know, within a couple days, she's got two vendors for me to look at and talk to that are ready to develop a game for me. And so I'm happy to take this offline because I could talk all day long about this. But basically what we ended up creating is a 30-minute training. We go over, over the industry playbook. We launch the game. We send some pre-work beforehand. And now everything's just in a package. So you get the invitation to train. You send out the pre-work email. You send out the game day email. You send out the winner's email. And so, of course, we, we do the training in a, in a webinar. At the end, we play the game. We also add Added the industry playbook as a tile in that game so now there's reason for them not to delete the app but to hold on to it and we're gonna grow that app but I don't even know what it's gonna evolve to someday but I'm really excited about the future of it and then the other thing I did is I hired a fulfillment house you know at one point my garage was full I, I had one point sent out sent out I, I'm gonna say over 500 candy dishes one year for Christmas to all of my partners, M M&M and M packets, glass candy dish, wrap them with a bow on top, and mail them to offices. And you know, I just again, you've got to hire people that yes, understand strategy, but are willing to execute on the tactics. Success, you know, when you have to be lean. But in this case, I realized. You know, I'm not going to be able to do this myself. And I, I hired a fulfillment house that would shift our prizes for us. And so that linear approach you see there of having, you know, an asset or a tool, one of the biggest challenges of creating the asset is not so much creating the asset, but getting it out to the masses. How many people have something great sitting out there, whether it's a white paper, a recorded demo, or a win story? You know, you talked about in the beginning me being a part of a team that sold the first phone as a time clock solution, I was actually a channel manager for a small mobile app that was acquired. So it doesn't exist anymore. And I was working with the Sprint team; they were my channel, and they took me out on an appointment. And it was myself, Sprint, and ADP that that all sold this unified solution together. But I went back to my leaders and I wrote up just a brief win story, and I said, I don't want to support t- sprint anymore you have 40 channel managers on sprint can i go support adp and tell them about this win and see if we can drive some some leads from them because Look at the results this client experienced. Again, at the end of the day, it's all about what's the client's benefit and keep, you keeping know, delighting the client. So I'm sure you guys have your own assets and tools out there. I took that one win story and within nine months had been, went out and trained 25 ADP markets. But then coupling it now with the gamification, the Zoom approach reduced our, our travel for our organization. And I just can't imagine going back to the way we did business before. And then coupled with a fulfillment house, we now have an end-to-end solution. So that's how we pivoted.
1: Amazing the gamification of, of the partner role. Jason Breeds asking, do you make the playbook available outside of your team? So is this playbook specifically for the eyes of partners, or have you guys made this public available, publicly available anywhere, Danielle?
0: Yeah, I'm happy to share it. And I'm sure my the vendor that I use would provide a version. And she's she would love to work with other companies to provide an industry playbook. So I'd just say for that, just connect with me offline, Um, you know, we do, we, we were trying to figure out you know, cause for me, nothing is ever complete. Nothing is ever done. I, I may write a Facebook post and 10 minutes later, I'm thinking of, oh, I'm going to go edit that. So it was very important for me to have this playbook be a living, breathing thing. We could add new industries as they come. I also wanted to get it out early. I when I got it out, I only had like, you know, six industries. We now have 19 or so industries in the playbook. So we created it as a Google doc. So yeah, it, is live out there. I think anybody can look at it, but you know, again, we, we, I'm happy to connect you with a person that, that would love to replicate this for other companies.
1: Sure. I have a quick question. Did you guys have, did you just have carte blanche to be able to kind of conceptualize this and run this or was this, did you have to consult with anyone or get any internal buy-in or is this kind of yours to get going?
0: (sighs) Well, if you knew me just a little bit better, um, you'd know that I'm a person that asks for forgiveness instead of permission, and I think that's okay as long as you have somebody with, you know, high work ethics. And so I, I didn't. I kind of mapped out on PowerPoint a, a vision that I had for it. You know, the industry at the top, and it would have pain points for the client. Again, always starting with what the client needs are. It would have metrics and talking points so that you, as a sales rep could crack open a conversation or apply like those third and fourth level questions. Um, So each industry has two pages. and And then what I did is I said to my vendor, here's our website and here are some flyers that we've put out on each industry. I'm busy. You go pull these pages together. And like I said, I was kind of astounded that I finally met a partner that just kind of reads my mind. And she's just great. So when she presented me the first pass, I was absolutely blown away. It was exactly what I asked for. Now I had to prep. I had to give her a lot of tools. I had to package up everything. I didn't want her to have to go hunt and peck for stuff, but you know, she didn't, and I would never have been able to do this. She didn't require me to go fill out a creative brief and type all this stuff in. I just hit forwarded links. I forwarded documents. And then I said, you got to sift through this and, and help me make this real. And then, and then that's when we decided maybe we could bring on some other partners to really enhance this. So let me give you example. So let's take construction, for instance, you know, my partner is, is just getting into the construction industry. They do have, of course, thousands of accounts or they're a large, large company, but it's not their. Their specific industry that they're, they're bread and butter, so they could use some help. And their new hires any new hire could use some help talking to a construction company. So we put two pages in there specific to you know their marquee product and how our product fits into that. You know, asking those questions and then one of the things I said is like, okay, if someone gives you, we try to think, how are they going to use this? So I said, if someone gives you pushback and says, this sounds great, but I have to hire someone to handle my payroll and time tracking. And we actually are looking for that person right now, the next two pages roll right into, you know, the, my partners, marquee partner for recruiting. So then they can say, Oh, you're hiring. Well, how many jobs are you hiring for? And how often do you hire? And where are you posting those jobs? And then in the construction industry, someone might say, well, uh, yeah, but you know, we're really complicated. We are really unique. We do things differently. We have prevailing wage and certified payroll. The next two slides within that construction book are for certified payroll reporting. So we, we really thought like, how, what, you know, let's not stop here. How's that conversation going to go? And how can we help that sales rep throughout the whole journey? And what does that do? That just helps them establish themselves as an expert, as a business partner for their client. And the client has no idea they're they're reading off a book and getting some of these tips and tricks.
1: Well done, Danielle.
0: <laughs> all right. So, you know, that's the key. That's how we pivoted. And I will tell you this is what's changed my life and made again, I, I empathize and with all that's going on in the world, but I will say that from a work life balance, um, you know, I went from traveling every week and having a multitude of babysitters and a village that helped me with my my eight-year-old son. I didn't have my son till I was 42. But so I, I love my job. It's my hobby. And I'm so glad I realized wait, push pause, what else do you want out of life? But to be able to in April, May, June, homeschool my third grader was it brought me like the greatest joy. And so you know having these tools helped me do that. And you know, I, I really do I miss my peeps and I want to see them you know, out in every market, but I don't think I'll go back to the travel expenses that I was incurring before. So, all right. Any other questions before I move on?
1: We'll take them at the end. Let's just keep going through this down Okay. Now.
0: Okay, yeah, just real briefly this won't be a long discussion, but I did want to say I had, this is what I'm, I'm writing a book on and Carrie, that the gal who helps me uh, with the industry playbook, we're putting our heads together and we're, we're going to put together a book, a business book as brief as possible for this. But these are, this is my philosophy on channel or partner sales is these four E's. If it doesn't cover these four E's, then, you know, we've got so much going on. We have lean resources. I try not to get pulled into it, but I have to say these four E's cover so much that I, I try to use this also to prove why we need more resources. So if it does not engage your partner, educate your partner, execute and evangelize. Those are the four E's. And I'll take you through what I mean by that. So engage, you know, during the holidays, I like to just send all of my friends, um, some kind of card or gift or some, or do some kind of promo this year. We had some cool socks that we ordered and we did this rock the socks that we launched over LinkedIn actually had somebody over LinkedIn request a pair of socks for me this morning, which was pretty cool. And so just thinking of fun and creative ways just to engage them. And you'd be surprised how excited people get over just a pair of socks. And I'm really not trying to do anything there other than just like engage them, just say hi, offer them something, let them know we're out there, remind them of us. You know, another way that I'm sure companies use probably to engage is, is through your newsletters. Most people have partner newsletters, right? And I'll tell you, I don't really know if people read my newsletter, but I will tell you that my largest introduction to a new rep usually comes from someone responding to my newsletter, having nothing to do with the content in my newsletter, but saying, Hey, Danielle, I've got this issue. Can you help? And I'm like, yes, my newsletter worked. Did they read it? Probably not, but they got it. They knew where to find me. And so that's engagement. So you have to do the basics, right? And then education, you know, I'm, I'm pressed all the time to educate my partners, but my partners sell their own products. Some of them sell hundreds of products. How do I get them to take training on my product? So we've found 10 minute trainers, the gamification, the 30 minute really quick webinars help and then execute. Everybody's looking for that marketing campaign. Drops aren't as big as they were pre COVID. Um, We used to hand out postcards with a little gift for the client that the sales, And we did it in the, Not our stylization. I had someone say something to me once and I know four or 5,000 partner reps felt it, but one person said it to me and they said, I'm not doing your marketing for you. Now I'm, right? So I realized then that even though my colors might be, you know, purple and gold and their colors are orange and white, if I want to co-market with them, I have to co-market with their stylization with their brand so i give them something that represents them their brand and help them go out they they will then go drop you know we would give each sales rep you know 10 or 15 of these you know, items One year, a partner gave pies to their clients. And we said, hey, we'll pay for your pies, $7.95 for a huge pumpkin pie from Costco. I'll pay for your pies if you put my flyer on it. And we created a flyer that says, you know, easiest pie. And it was as simple as that. And uh, it actually allowed more people to participate in it because they were coming out of pocket, you know, and oftentimes for those pies. And then evangelize. What I mean by that is your partner leans on other partners. How do you get your partner to start evangelizing your product or your solution or you to their partners? And to me, when you get to evangelize, I mean, you've won, that's a home run. Mm-hmm. So those are my four key concepts of, of you know how to engage a channel.
1: Love them and executes really resonating with me because I think a lot of organizations get hung up on strategy and collaboration and buy in ahead of just going ahead and doing some of these things. And it seems like you've built your career on just hustle and just getting into execution mode.
0: I had a leader say to me once when I uh, turned down a job, I was like, Oh, I I have a five-year-old. I'm just not ready for, to restart. And he said, what are you going to do in life? If you're not hustling, (laughs) you got me, you got me. Yeah. You know, execute is, is, Again, forgive, asking for forgiveness and permission. I hope you hire brave, bold people who are creative and just let them go try things. I remember March Madness one year, we ordered you know 50 cent little bottle caps that you know would open a beer bottle, but they looked like basketballs. And that was our drop. And we were able to give 20 to each sales rep that they would just go and hand out to their clients. And it was cute and fun. And what if they never had handed them out to their clients? I got asked that by a leader. What if they don't hand them out? Okay, they read it. They're sitting on their desk. That bottle cap is in his or her house. To me, that's a win. That takes me back to at least I engaged them, right? I gave them something to execute. If they don't execute, I at least engage them. They read the postcard. They might've hated the message, but in that, in reading it, they were educated. So I just be brave, take chances. And I think that leads me to my next slide, which is you know the danger zone. I want to talk to leaders about, and I think what we just have a few minutes left here. Is that right?
1: Five minutes, four or five minutes. Yep.
0: Okay. Just some cautionary tales of of as you're talking to your channel and partnership teams, things to to look out for and hear for or hear. Co-opetition is a term I learned about six years ago when I was working for a different company and we were partnering with a competitor. And a lot of functional area leaders who we were seeking support from, whether it's let's get an integration with this company. Well, they are a competitor. Let's put together some marketing tools for this company to go deliver, but they're a competitor. I think the simplest way to break that down is what is your core product? What's your highest margin product? What's your marquee product that you built your brand on or trying to build your brand on? What is your partner's core product? If they're not the same, then I think there's an opportunity for you to say, you know, cause again, m- many companies are selling multiple c- products. Let me give you an example. So cornerstone, a talent management, awesome talent management solution. It's a full suite solution. The sales reps are encouraged to sell the full suite, not just their marquee product, which is learning and LMS. So they have recruiting, onboarding, performance, learning, um, succession planning, compensation planning, all built into this talent management tool. But you know they might be getting beat often by Jazz HR, a marquee recruiting partner. So I would ask those leaders, I, I and of course this wasn't around at that time. So, so I didn't have the chance to ask those leaders, but today I would ask those leaders and I don't know how their recruiting product matches up to, to the Jazz HR product, but I would say, is it worth it to you to have, to give up one module to get these other five and plug in a best in breed module? So I, I think the some of the best partnerships I've seen are when you can partner with your competitor Because when you're integrating your product with their product, some of the benefits that aren't, you know, know, we're measured by a number, right, a a revenue number. But what I always try to emphasize, too, is how much churn reduction did I impact because I integrated our, our solution with a competitor? That client's not going anywhere now. Now, we may not be getting... $100 $100 from them a month, we might only be getting 80, but would you rather have 80 or zero? So, again, you know, part co-opetition is to me the way forward with partnerships. Death by strategy. Death by strategy is that if you've got partner managers or channel managers, or if you are a partner and channel manager and you're just hung up on big picture and strategy, I just don't think it's going to work for you. You have to be willing to get in your garage and wrap presents and put bows on them. Don't get caught up in so much strategic talk and thinking, this is what this partner is going to do for me. One of the sales reps that I love working with out of Texas at a meeting one time, he was very successful. And someone asked him, What's your approach? And he said, I have a give, give, get approach. I give and I give. And Then I get, and so it's no surprise that I get, but if you're out there with your hands out, even if you're doing great things, but being like, give me the leads, give me the leads, give me the sales. I just, that's just never been my approach. I would rather give you something that's benevolent. And then I know that my time will come, right? Another downfall is like, who's the big dog? I recall walking into a meeting. I was in my twenties. I was walking into a meeting with a major network and a major league ball team organization and they were the big dogs. And I was trying to negotiate a partnership with them that had no money, but they were friends because this sales rep kept trying to sell to me. And so, uh, you know, here I am, 27, I had an office and this guy keeps trying to get to me, but I had no authority to buy advertising time on his station. I had a $2 million budget and I was told coming in, this is what you spend it on. So I'm like, i got to meet with this guy, but I, I really don't have any authority here. So, we became friends. They took me to happy hours. And at some point I was like, guys, I can't, I just can't buy from you. Do you still want to be friends with me? And, and they did. But then one day they called a meeting and I was obligated to go. And we had put some strategies together and walked into the meeting and I thought they were the big dogs and they presented first. And I realized I'm the big dog here. They were offering me advertising time for free well, not free, there was a barter going on. They were offering me advertising time. They were offering me season tickets, which I think I already talked about. We use those to get referrals. And I had cell phones. This was at the time when cell people were paying three, $400 for cell phones. So we ended up doing a trade where we bartered cell phones with them for their services back to us. But I went into that room thinking, I have no power here. I'm going to have to just act like you know, the friend and it very quickly realized, oh, I have all the power. I'm the big dog. So whether you're the bigger company in the room or the smaller company in the room, don't get caught up in that, you know, figure out what the win-win approach is.
1: Yeah. That's, I think that's something that uh, people lose sight of, especially when you feel like you're, you're the small dog in the fight because you always have something to offer. Sineer is now telling us it's time to wrap. Okay. So, Danielle, we still have a couple more things to to cover and we can move that to the speaker lounge. So I just wanna thank everybody uh, today for joining us and for Danielle for being here. And just, this has been incredible. We're gonna move over to the speaker's lounge uh, where any paid members can come in and we're gonna continue this conversation over there. Danielle, there's a few questions that have come in and I'd love to be able to put them forth to you uh, when we head over there. So once again, thank you everyone. And we'll see you in the speaker's lounge.
0: Thank you, see you there.
1: If you like this, and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe. And join us at thecloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, Content Allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce a podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.